Hello, and welcome to the brand new Crumbling Empires podcast. I'm Lindsay Medford, author of My Body and Other Crumbling Empires, Lessons for Healing in a World that is Sick. This is a podcast about living here and now in the midst of crumbling empires with realism and with hope. Just like I've become a person who's very comfortable talking about disease and doctors and the near inevitability of disability in all of our lives, I'm also someone who very cheerfully assumes that most of the systems and structures around us are slowly falling apart, even if they appear not to be. (laughs) Many of us admit this ourselves at any time we casually use the word unsustainable to describe habits, systems, or cultures. Unsustainable sounds sort of benign or jargony, but it literally means this pattern will eventually become self-destroying. Not to put too fine a point on it, extractive colonial capitalism and the systems and cultures of oppression that it creates are the ultimate unsustainable empires. I'm still cheerful about all this because... Well, nothing lasts forever, and lots of things need to change. And because very few of these unsustainable things actually suit us very well, they don't contribute to our flourishing or our neighbors. They hide or distract us from what we truly want, what we were created for. But that doesn't negate the reality that we still live within them, and that navigating them, resisting them, or replacing them as wholehearted human beings, is a skill we're still struggling to develop. After this episode, this will actually be an interview show. I'm bringing on guests to share about various crumbling empires and various strategies for living practically and meaningfully in the midst of these realities. I am so excited to share a conversation with Courtney Ellis on practicing presence amidst transience and loneliness, Kim Knoll-Zeller and Erin Stribus's wisdom on mothering in this, like, nonsense world that is so inhospitable to mothers, and Sarah Billups's perspective on the crumbling empire of the American Evangelical Church. And of course, those are just the folks who have confirmed so far. Before we get to the interviews, though, I thought I would share a bit more about why I'm doing a podcast, which is actually also my behind-the-scenes reflection on life in the midst of the crumbling empire of publishing and influencing and being a spiritual writer, which I do really hope will have a bit of relevance to non-influencers. So if you follow any conversations about publishing, you already know that it is a mess. I deeply, honestly, genuinely love and appreciate my publisher, Broadleaf Books, and everyone that I work with there. But my guess is they also would tell you that the industry is a mess. Basically, lots of things about the internet disrupted how publishing works and how publishers make money. So the goal of publishing really interesting, insightful, helpful books and the goal of running a publishing business have someone arguably never been more divergent. That makes it really confusing and difficult to be an author who cares about content and craft, even when your publisher, like mine, does their darndest to make those goals converge again. 
And the thing is, like, a lot of us work in places where we are kind of set up to fail this way because we are supposed to meet competing goals. One place I've encountered this is in church planting. When you're starting a new church, you're supposed to follow the Holy Spirit's lead and build this really deep community. And you're supposed to try new and creative things, which in reality often means failing. But you're also supposed to hit a bunch of metrics about what an impressive church looks like. And those metrics don't measure those things. Most nonprofits have this same tension between their real mission and what they feel pressured to make their organization look like to those who fund the mission without actually being involved in it. And I think anyone who works in any industry or organization that has certain profit goals or certain markers of belonging and status, but who also wants to live out justice and liberation in their day-to-day life, is also going to feel torn some of the time. Another thing all these situations share with my own experience in publishing is that this specific place of bewilderment is common enough that a bunch of people are very happy to step into this gap and offer magic solutions that are supposed to tell you how to reach all your goals. The problem is their magic solutions don't have to actually work for their business to be successful. They are trading in hope. And some of them are also trading in really hard-won expertise and empathy for their customers, but you don't always know who they are. So all of this is just the background for me to say, I have done a lot of research on like the supposed path to becoming a successful author. And almost all of it has been stuff that doesn't actually have anything to do with writing good words and serving an audience well, or it's stuff that doesn't work. And so when it came time to launch this book, I had to make some decisions. Do I just kind of grit my teeth and put on my work boots and hustle my way about selling, 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 selling my work? Do I basically give up on marketing this thing like I have seen so many authors do? Or do I look around me and try to blend in by following all these industry norms that I don't like fully understand or enjoy? None of those felt like the right option to me, not least because the book itself is about how we live into greater integrity and wholeness, and about how we keep going without giving up, and about how we resist what isn't helping us and isn't actually working, even when it feels like we're going against the norm. So for example, here are some supposedly common sense things that were not working for me. Uh, Number one, Instagram. Instagram looks shiny and braggy and it gives you instant feedback, which is definitely a head rush. But to actually sell books from that platform, I think requires authors to be there basically all the ding dang time. There are people for whom that fits into their daily schedules and their patterns of creating, but I am not that girl, at least not right now. Uh, Number two, self-promotion. By this, I do not mean saying that the book is good and you should buy it. So maybe this is a bit of a misnomer. I am not shy about saying that. But what I mean is that there is this received wisdom that authors are these inherently isolated creatures. And when you launch a book, everyone trains their eyes on you and asks what you are going to do 
and you feel all this pressure to do all the things. And then because you are so pressured, you also feel bad asking anyone else for help. And everyone just assumes this is how things go. Number three, launch day or week or month itself. So generating a lot of momentum with some well-placed buzz can certainly help move books. And obviously, if your goal is to hit some sort of bestseller list, you have to throw all your energy at one single week. But otherwise, there is not actually an expiration date on books the way all the hype around launch days might imply. There are actually a lot of ways to sell books besides getting artificially stressed about an imaginary deadline. And if you know me, you know that getting artificially stressed about an imaginary deadline is particularly materially, corporeally unsustainable for me. In fact, bit of a digression here, I am becoming more and more aware that front-loading the hype like this does make a lot of sense if the book is not particularly good. If you can't quality, if you cannot count on the quality of the book to speak for itself, you better sell it hard at the beginning. So, how do you sell books with integrity in the midst of a crumbling empire? Frankly, I do not know the answer yet. Frankly, it has been a slow start, which a lot of people involved with this book did expect before it came out. So I will just tell you two ways that I am doing it in a way that feels sustainable. The first one is extending this bizarre imaginary timeline. I think it is a well-kept secret that most authors give up on their books way too soon. Here's the thing. There are people in business or in other entertainment industries and other places who write books in order to grow their platforms. A book is an incredible tool for growing a platform, but authors get it stuck in their heads that we have to have platforms to sell books. And by the time it's launch day, we believe it's already too late to keep marketing our idea. Having a book in your hand is actually really helpful for continuing to grow whatever platform you have, but it does take time. It honestly takes a lot of time. But what's sad about not taking the time is that there is a point where the inertia of a small platform stops working against you and the inertia of the work you have put in starts working for you. I think doing extending this timeline and doing this more slowly just seemed like a much more reasonable way of working for most of us. It's more like I have now added this book to my body of work, and I'm going to make my way out there to keep sharing it indefinitely because this work is important to me. This idea is interesting to me, and I want to connect with people who feel the same. On the other hand, when we're running around frantically pitching articles and podcasts everywhere under the sun in the space of a month, of course we get totally sick of it and all the no's coming in at once make us sad, and all the yeses coming in at once make us stressed, and we get really tired of hearing ourselves talk, and we forget things and drop balls 
and then our butts fuse to our computer chairs, and we complain to each other and feel oppressed. Whereas if we were just willing to keep plugging away at it, no matter how slow the pace objectively is, we're still probably going to do way more in a year and be able to do it really well than we could have done in that one exhausting month. The second thing I'm doing to try and launch my book in a different way is I have been very frustrated by the sense of isolation authors have that I'm slowly becoming more and more convinced is really unnecessary. I also think it's pretty harmful and kind of bizarre to imagine that this really intensive creative work is being served by our belief that books are the work of lone geniuses. When you write a book, you know that's not truth, but because of this myth, you also feel the pressure of making it quote-unquote succeed by yourself. But the truth is, writing and authoring in community is just far more sustainable on every level. It makes your work better. It introduces some accountability into your process. It feels good to talk to your friends and do things with your friends when other things about writing and authoring do not feel good. It can challenge you and expand your ideas. And it is an incredibly powerful strategy for selling books. But caveat, it only rarely looks sexy on Instagram. So for a while, I've really been craving more ways to work collaboratively and to meaningfully promote other authors. And so far, I've been lucky enough or irritated and stubborn enough to do some of that in more behind-the-scenes ways. But I'm really, really, really excited to finally get this podcast going and start putting these interviews regularly on the schedule. I'm hopeful that this is a way to be helpful to other authors in a way that doesn't feel draining for me. And frankly, I just like talking to my friends and my soon-to-be friends. To return to sustainability, the podcast also feels more feasible with some of the tools that are fairly new to the scene, like Substack, in a way that it didn't before now. I also think this Substack will be a lot more valuable and fun with some other voices included. Another thing about marketing is, like, as an author, I could figure out manipulative ways to keep growing my audience while not actually offering that much. Or I could get mad that there are quote-unquote too many substacks now. Or I could take the competition as a challenge to get creative, to figure out what resonates with you, dear listener, and to really look at all the tools at my disposal and see which ones best suit my strengths and interests. And I'm really, really hopeful that asking great questions of some amazing authors is a way to make your day better. By the way, if you are listening on a regular podcast app and not via Substack, I regularly post essays that I also read as audio reflections like this one on Substack, while only the interviews will go out to all the podcast feeds. So please join me over at lindsaymedford.substack.com. To wrap up and get back to the crumbling empires theme... This all comes down to turning down the noise and acting on what I actually believe 
about how good books should make their way into the world with some sense of conviction that it can work that way, which does require way more focus on the process and on how it feels and aligns rather than just on measuring the results at artificially close intervals. Because a lot of things that work really well, but on nonlinear timelines, get discarded in so many of our cultures and organizations in favor of things that work kind of okay, but on super short timelines. But I just won't and I physically can't work that way. And what happens when we choose this way of focusing on the process and paying really close attention to what we actually care about and actually believe and hope for for our work, what happens is that we allow our work to be sustainable and creative and surprising. And we learn to fail and just move on. And we find that these incredible untapped sources of power that we missed this whole time. I think it quote unquote works far more often than we expect it to. And even when it doesn't quite turn out how we'd hoped, we are growing these amazing skills and alternative ways of seeing, doing, and being that we will need anytime an empire crumbles.